Welcome to the Athens First United Methodist Church Sermons Podcast. I'm Kayla Thomason, a member of the communications team. We hope you enjoy this weekly resource. Well, good morning, Athens First United Methodist Church. It is so good to be with you on this celebratory Sunday. It is the Sunday after the national championship game. And can I just tell you, I have been looking forward to this Sunday for 189 days now. (laughs) Since the day I arrived, I have been picturing it in my mind. What is it going to be like? And I will tell you, it is exactly the way I imagined. The sun is shining. The choir has never sounded better. Amen? (laughs) The congregation has never looked more beautiful. And the Georgia Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now, I want you to know that uh, Reverend Nancy and I, we we are not liturgically oblivious to the fact that it is the season of epiphany. That is typically a season where we would wear white, but, but what we agreed on is the fact that there was something that felt right about red and black today. So I hope you don't mind. It's been such a, a great week to just celebrate and to soak in all the joy that has been felt all around the classic city. And uh, it's been especially fun for me because I remember all the way back last June, I was going to annual conference here in Athens, and it was before I arrived, and and there were a lot of people who who wanted to tell me about what they thought about me going to Athens. And there was one guy who said, well, you know, Athens is great and all, but just wait till you have to preach your first sermon on a Sunday after the Bulldogs lose. (laughs) Well, one day, maybe that'll happen. (laughs) Until then, we're all enjoying life. Amen? Amen. This morning, we're in week two of our new sermon series. It's called Rediscovering Jesus. And what we talked about last week was the fact that um, most people, if not all people, know something about this guy named Jesus. You know, everybody can quote some kind of fact. They've heard something. We've all seen some bumper sticker or t-shirt or even TV commercial that tells us something about who this Jesus is. But do we really know who Jesus is? That that is the task, that is what we're trying to accomplish over the course of the next six weeks together. Because if, if you've looked at any of our posters, if you've looked at some of the stuff we've put out, for the next six weeks, um, we are simply in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Mark. Meaning we are digging deep into some of my favorite stories from the Gospel of Mark that tell us who Jesus is, what he was about, and why it matters. So this morning, I want us to continue in chapter one of the Gospel of Mark by looking at the story of Jesus calling his first disciples. I'll be reading from verse 16 through 20. Hear now the word of God. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fish for people. And immediately, they let go of their nets, and they followed him. As they went a little farther, Jesus saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending their nets. 
Immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, and the hired men in the boat behind, and they followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. So last summer, if you were here, uh, we did a series on the four Gospels. And one of the things that I mentioned when we were covering the Gospel of Mark is the fact that I've always thought of Mark as a Gospel that is a just-the-facts-ma'am kind of Gospel. Uh, what I mean by that is the Gospel of Mark is not a Gospel that contains any fluff. It's not a kind of Gospel that contains any unnecessary details. Mark does not meander or ever leave the reader wondering, where is he going with all of this? No, Mark is a Gospel that is direct and to the point, which I've always admired and I've always appreciated, if only because that is something that we preachers have never been accused of, being direct and to the point. I know that's certainly been uh, the case for me in the early days of my preaching career. That is something that I was often guilty of. And that's because I would climb into the pulpit. I was just so excited to share whatever I had learned that week. And so I would, just, I would just put all of these many things that I had learned, and I hadn't learned yet the magic of that little thing called editing. And so those poor congregations would just receive everything I had to give. In fact, I remember a, uh, a mentor of, my, of mine once pulled me aside and he said, you know, Jeremy, there, there's something that all of us preachers need to learn eventually, and that is that there is a fine line between a sermon and a hostage situation. So, <laughs> consider cutting it back a little bit. And that's what I've tried to do over the years. Uh, the good news is that is not the Gospel of Mark. Uh, the Gospel of Mark is not the kind of gospel that you will, any of us will ever read and think, is there a point to the story that Mark is telling? Or where is he going with this? This just seems like he's going off in a million different directions. No, Mark is very direct and to the point. And the reason why is because the only thing that Mark wants to do is to tell us the story of Jesus as succinctly and as simply as possible. So last week, we started by noting that the very first story in the Gospel of Mark is Jesus' baptism. And if you've read ahead or you know anything about chapter 1, you know that the next story that Mark tells, very quick, very to the point, but it's the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Then Mark notes something about Jesus beginning his, his preaching ministry. But then the very next story, literally the fourth story in the Gospel of Mark is Jesus calling his first disciples. And this is essentially what Mark says about that occasion. He said one day Jesus was walking along the seashore by the Sea of Galilee when he saw two brothers. He saw Andrew and he saw Simon. They were in their boats, casting their nets, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. They immediately let go of their nets and they followed Jesus. And then from there, he continued on and he went down the seashore a little longer. And it was there that he saw two more brothers. It was James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They too were mending their nets and he called out to them saying, follow me. And they immediately followed Jesus. 
if younger, less experienced Jeremy were here this morning, he would want to tell you 37 different things about that story that are really important for us. But thankfully, younger, less experienced Jeremy isn't in the pulpit this morning. No, what you've got this morning is is older, wiser, much better looking Jeremy. Who only wants to tell you two things about this story this morning. And in honor of our national champion, Georgia Bulldogs, I thought I might give you those two things back to back. So here's the first thing. The first thing that I want you to notice about this story is where it takes place in the Gospel of Mark. More specifically, I want you to take notice of when it takes place in the story of Jesus. Because in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew doesn't tell us the story of Jesus calling his first disciples until chapter 4. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke doesn't tell us that story until chapter 5. But now all of a sudden, we're in the Gospel of Mark. And how long does it take him to tell us this story? We're only 16 verses in. Meaning we haven't even made it halfway through the very first chapter before Mark says, so can I tell you this story about when Jesus called his first disciples? Now some people might say that's just Mark being Mark, you know. He's directing to the point, and so maybe Mark is just, you know, trying to trim the fat and move the story along. But I don't, I don't think that's the case. No, I, I think the fact that this is mentioned so early in the Gospel of Mark is Mark's way of trying to tell us that what happened in the story was of the utmost priority to Jesus. In other words, that this was something that happened in Jesus' life that was really, really important. Because what Mark says is that after Jesus' baptism and after he returns from being tempted in the wilderness, the very first thing he did was he gathered a bunch of people around him to do life and ministry with. In other words, he purposely surrounded himself with a community of faith so that he wouldn't have to do the next three years alone. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that is at least somewhat surprising to hear. If only because in my mind, if there was ever a person who you would think wouldn't need anybody else's help? If there was ever a person who could have shown up and said, hey, I got this, I'm going to go it alone. If there was ever a person who who had the emotional, mental, physical, spiritual fortitude to do this journey called life all by himself, it would have been Jesus. But Mark says, that's not how it happened. No, the very first thing that Jesus does is he shows up and he finds a group of people to do life with. To walk with and and talk with and break bread with. To lean on and lean into. Jesus believed that the most important thing he could do is to find a bunch of people to surround himself with. Because what Jesus understood is that we will always do more together than we ever will apart. Jesus knew that we will always go farther when we are part of a team than when we try to do it all by ourselves. 
For instance, uh, I remember back when I was serving a church in, in Gwinnett County. Uh, I remember there was a, a, a woman in this church who told me one day that her, her New Year's resolution was to run her very first half marathon. And so she said, I, I jumped on it with alacrity. She said, I was so excited to finally do this, you know, 13.1 miles. I knew I could do it. And so she was excited and she was enthusiastic. And at the beginning of January, she did awesome. But by February, guess what happened? She had all but given up. And so the next year, she said, I'm, I'm going to do the same thing. This year, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to run my very first half marathon. And this time, it was somewhere around mid to late February that she finally gave up. But during her third year of trying, <laughs> during her, her, her third year of saying, I want to make this my goal. Something changed, and she actually did it. And I remember there was a Sunday in like late April, maybe it was early May, where she came up to me and she said to me, Pastor Jeremy, guess what? Guess what? I finally did it. I ran my first half marathon. And I said, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Congratulations. I'm so proud of you. So what was the difference? Why did it work this year? but not the other years. And you know what she said? She said, well, in the first two years, I was convinced I could do it on my own. I, I had read a couple of books. I subscribed to a magazine. I was reading articles. I had bought all this stuff, you know, to, to make sure that I could do it. So I was convinced that I could do it on my own. But by late January, she said, I would wake up on Saturday morning knowing that I had an eight or nine or 10 mile run in front of me, and it was eight or nine or 10 degrees outside. And she said, I was real comfortable in that bed. It was feeling mighty warm, and the, the pillow was super comfortable. And so eventually, I just gave it up. But this year, she said, I made it. And the reason why is because I got some running partners. <laughs> She said, I purposely went out and I found some people that were willing to do it with me. And so every Saturday morning at 5.30, we meet at the high school and we do our runs together. I said, that is mighty impressive to get up that early and to run on a Saturday. I mean, are there any Saturdays where you, where you wish that you didn't have to go out and run? And she said, oh yeah, that's every Saturday. <laughs> but the difference is that now... I have people who are depending on me. I have people who are cheering me on. In fact, I get text messages from them the night before saying, I can't wait to see you in the morning. It's going to be a great run. She said it, it made all the difference in the world because I finally realized that I needed to do this with other people. Jesus got that. I think Jesus totally understood that. I think Jesus understood that when it comes to life and when it comes to faith, that's who we are. We were made to be in community. It's a part of our spiritual DNA. We weren't meant to go about it alone. And so it is that one of the first things he does before he does a lick of ministry in the Gospel of Mark before he performs a miracle or walks on water or does any of that stuff, the first thing Jesus does is he said, I need a community of faith around me. I need some people 
to do life and ministry with. And so, if Jesus thought it was absolutely necessary to surround himself with a community of faith, what makes any of us think that we can do it on our own? I mean, what makes any of us think that somehow we've got what it takes, but Jesus didn't? No, we need one another. We were made to be in community and to do faith together. And so it is that if, if you're here this morning and you're, you're visiting our church for the first time, if you're here because you're like, you know what, I'm starting the new year out, I want to... I wanna, Start going back to church. Or I, I want to give this new church a try. I'm looking for a new church home. If that is you this morning, can I just say to you, welcome to Athens First. We're so glad you're here, and we hope that you feel right at home here, and you find that community of faith to love you and to pray with you, to be around you, to do life with. But if this morning, if you're somebody who says, well, I'm already a member here. This is already my church home but you haven't found your smaller group yet, your Sunday school class, your, your Bible study, your small group, the group of people that you meet with regularly and consistently to deepen your discipleship with. If you haven't found them yet, then, then what are you waiting for? Because, you know, last week we, we, we put the baptismal font out and we came forward and we renewed our vows. And one of the things we said is, this year we want to strive to be more like Jesus. Well, I'm here to tell you, there's nothing more Jesus-like than finding a small group of people to surround yourself with and to walk this journey of faith with. So that's, that's the first thing that I want us to notice. Jesus surrounded himself with other disciples to do life and ministry with. The second thing I want us to notice about this story, though, is how Jesus called those disciples in Mark chapter 1. Because Lord knows he could have done it in any number of ways, right? You know, Jesus could have gotten out a bullhorn and, and, and just kind of like went off on a spiel about all of the many benefits of following him, he could have handed them a dissertation, all the reasons why you'll want to follow me. He could, have, he could have shown them a PowerPoint, you know, about what this was going to do for the reputation and what it was going to do for them career-wise. There's like so many things that Jesus could have done to say, here's why you want to follow me. But instead, Mark says he really only did it with two words. He simply said, follow me. And that was the most life-changing invitation those fishermen had ever received. Because to make that invitation to say those words, follow me, what you're essentially saying is, I want you to be just like me. I want you to follow in my footsteps. Meaning that where I go, you go. What I do, you do. What I say, you say. Who I love, you love. It was the most life-changing invitation that those fishermen had ever received. And rest assured that there were those who received that same invitation who turned it down. 
I mean, in all of the Gospels, there are examples of people to whom Jesus said, follow me, and they said, mm-mm, I don't think so. <laughs> it's a great offer. Thank you. Thank you for thinking of me, but um, I'm good because it's just too hard. Because you, do you know what it takes to follow someone wholeheartedly? Do you know what's required to be someone's disciple? It means that you have to be willing to relinquish control. It means that you have to be willing to not be in charge anymore. In other words, it means that you have to channel your inner Carrie Underwood and say, Jesus, take the wheel. And then fight your entire life to not try to take that wheel back. That is a difficult invitation to receive because... Do you know what it takes to let Jesus take the wheel? Do you know what's required for us to relinquish control? It means we have to be willing to let go. And that is exactly what those disciples did. They let go of their nets and their boats and their livelihood and their business. They let go of any inkling of here's where I'm going in life and this is what is coming next. They let go of everything. And that's because that is what is required of us in order to follow Jesus. And so I guess if I had one question for you this morning, it would simply be this. What do you need to let go of in order to follow Jesus this year? What, what do you need to, to leave behind just like the disciples did in order to be his disciple? What do you need to release your grip on that you've had for probably too long? Or maybe it's something that's had its grip on you for entirely too long. What do you need to let go of to follow Jesus faithfully? Because the disciples would tell you, it's not easy. It's not easy to just let go of everything and say, I will follow. But that is precisely what they did. They let go of everything. And it was the most life-changing decision they ever made. Now last week, one of the things I mentioned to you is the fact that over Christmas break, I have been reading several books by an author named Bob Goff. And uh, in one of his books, it's called Dream Big, uh, he tells a story about a ministry that he's been involved with for about 25 years. Uh, it is a ministry in Uganda, Africa. And he said, where it all started with, is with a simple invitation. My wife and I had been invited by this ministry team to come to Uganda to see what they do, to see how lives were being transformed. And they said, would you just come and check it out, see how we do things? And they said, great. So they went. And he said one afternoon, uh, they were giving us a tour of, of, of different ministries they had in that area. We were traveling from town to town and village to village, and we were just kind of looking at everything that this ministry did. And one afternoon, we were in the, the Jeep, and we were driving around. We had a driver, and Maria and I were in the back seat, and our, our host was in the passenger seat, and we were driving around. When we finally came to a village where there was this, this group of children that was playing soccer together. 
And so we, we decided to get out of the car, and he said, I couldn't help myself. I just had to join in the game. So there I am, you know, just playing soccer and having so much fun, getting sweaty and dirty and with these beautiful children. It was just so much fun. Well, after we were done with the game, it was time for us to leave. So we got back into the back seat of the Jeep. And because the, the, the top was down, he said, I was able to turn around and I was able to wave to all of the children. And so we start leaving in the Jeep and I'm waving to the children. And all of a sudden the children start chasing after the Jeep. So he said, I started waving at them even more enthusiastically because I just thought, wow, they really like me. And so I'm waving, and more and more children are coming out of the woodwork, and they're chasing after the Jeep. And he said, I just kept waving. And after a minute of waving, he said, my arm was getting tired. I don't know how much longer I can do this. So he finally turns to the driver, and he said, man, these kids sure do like to be waved at. To which the driver said, oh, Bob, one thing you need to know. In America, the gesture of waving means hello or goodbye. But in Uganda, it means follow me. This morning, in your mind's eye, I want you to picture Jesus strolling down the seashore of your life. And I want you to picture him waving at you. He is saying to you and to me, Come follow me. So what do you need to let go of in order to say yes this morning? What do you need to leave behind in order to answer the call? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. To listen to more sermons, read past devotions, or look up opportunities on how to connect, visit us at AthensFirstUMC.org. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following us on Instagram or Facebook at AthensFirstUMC.